What is it that we think we need to have to be happy and at peace? The main way you discover that is when it's under risk or under duress or it's taken away, you feel anxiety or you feel anger. So God is coming to you through your anxiety and your anger and revealing to you in love what your idols and attachments are in order to give you an invitation to let go of them and to center your heart on Him in order to discover crazy happy or whatever you want to call it. Welcome to the special Friday edition of Jesus is Real Radio, featuring Pastor Daniel Fusco. Each week we share a conversation between Daniel and a special guest. What do you think you need to be happy? Today, pastor and author John Mark Comer answers this question in his conversation with Pastor Daniel. John Mark explains that your feelings can be a good indicator of what you look to for happiness. Feelings of fear or anxiety are common when those things are threatened. Now, here's Pastor Daniel and John Mark Comer with the Friday edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Well, what's happening, everybody? And welcome to the Crazy Happy Podcast with me, Daniel Fusco. Thanks so much for joining. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what's going on in your life. But what I do know is that you are loved by God and that God wants to do an amazing work in your life. I always like to remind people, people ask me all the time, they say, Fusco, doesn't God want me to be happy? And I always say, yes, but God's plan for happiness is found in crazy places, not the places we're apt to look for it, especially the ways that we might pursue it, given the way our culture works. And so this is a podcast where we just talk about what does it look like living real life at street level with real people, real problems, and uh, Jesus doing a work. And many of you have been enjoying the book, Crazy Happy, Nine Surprising Ways to Live the Truly Beautiful Life, which you can find wherever you like to buy books in whatever form you like to buy it in. Now, one of the things I love so much about getting to do the Crazy Happy podcast is I get to hang out, talk with friends, mentors, people who I watch as God uses them. And I celebrate their, the unique ways that God has created people and, and the unique approaches that people have to, to living life and getting at things. And I'm super excited today because I get a chance to talk with my friend, John Mark Comer, who's the pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, my southern neighbor. I'm here in Vancouver, Washington. He's He's got the sun in the south in Portland, Oregon. He's also uh, an author of a great many very, very important books like, you know, uh, Loveology is a great book. You know, um, his book, Garden City, very, very, very powerful book. Uh, and, and of course, you know, his newest book, you know, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I think is actually God's, you know, God used that book to prepare us for the pandemic. I've told John Mark that many, many times. He's talking about slowing down and then everything gets shut down by a global pandemic. And uh, just an amazing thinker, someone who God has given a tremendous uh, platform to, to influence and, and he's stewarding it to the best of his ability. So John Mark, thanks for joining me on the podcast, man. Oh, it's great to be with you. You know, the funny thing for listeners is you and I probably are only 20 or 30 minutes apart. 
but there is a river. So if you can imagine the river that is the dividing line between Oregon and Washington and Portland's on the south side of the river and Vancouver's on the north side. I don't know where in Vancouver you are, but uh, but they're like two different worlds, even though we're separated. It's just a psychological weird barrier. It's just a bridge that takes a minute to cross. But I feel like we haven't seen each other in years and years and years. And you're probably closer to me than most of the people in my church. It's hilarious. Isn't it funny that that's the way that is? I remember before I moved up here when I was in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, I lived in Marin County, which is just over the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. And it was very, very similar where you're like, man, I'm five minutes outside of downtown San Francisco, but it feels like it's a world away, huh? Yeah, kind of crazy. But anyway, it's COVID anyway. I haven't seen anybody in a year. So <laughs> welcome so, to the internet. So talk to me about this. So, so like, so COVID obviously has been, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, that, that COVID is the great revealer. So like, yes. can you share just to get going on this? Like, what's one of like the big, like, this is the, one of the gifts that this crazy season of COVID, this is a gift that it gave me. You know, not to just, you know, uh, overlook all of the hardships that people have gone through, you know, uh, but often in, in things that we go through, even the hardest things, there are gifts that God gives us in the midst of it. Can you share maybe one of those for maybe for you or for your family? Yeah. I mean, the hardship was the gift in a sense for me, you know, it was the hardest, the most difficult year of my leadership for sure, if not my life. I've been a pastor for 20 years and by far the most difficult year. And of course, we're right. I live right off of downtown Portland. Our church is just blocks from all of the protests and riots and all of the trauma that was on international news every day for weeks and weeks and weeks throughout last summer. This is where I live. This is my neighborhood. This is where our church is. Traumatic year. And yet at the same time, you know, suffering is the primary path we walk to become people of Christ-like character and people of agape, you know? So I would say you're exactly right. COVID is the great revealer. As one pastor said to me a few days ago, it's only when the tide goes out that you see who is swimming naked, <laughs> you know, <laughs> meaning it like it kind of it was the great revealer like, oh, wow, you're actually a cultural Christian, whether it's on the right or the left. You're more loyal to your ideology, to your party, to your nationalism or your far left theory or whatever than you are to Christ and to Christian theology and the way of Jesus, or whatever the example is of leaders and, and so much fall, so much tragedy. But there's a hidden gift into that. You know, it was a great revealer in my own life. I think, you know, there were a number of kind of layers of bondage and attachment in my own soul that were revealed and stripped down through the process of this last year. I, I realized just how in bondage I was to the fear of other people's opinions of me, you know, that I don't think I had any conscious awareness of before. I think you would have asked me before COVID, do you struggle with the fear of man in language of kind of the King James? I think I would have said, no, not really. I'm pretty good. I can, I can do the right thing even when it's not popular. And I think I've come to realize, no, I have a massive struggle with the fear of man and the approval of other people and needing to be thought of as good and wise and sagacious or whatever by other people. 
And the challenge for a pastor all through 2020 and 21 is there was no possible way to do anything in public without getting attacked and no possible way to lead without getting criticized because there was so much opinion, so much emotion, so much difference and disagreement on all sorts of issues that there was no possible way for me to lead anything or do anything or say anything without having people get really mad at me no matter how wise or kind or gentle or thoughtful I attempted to be. I just was getting in trouble constantly. And that was really hard. I was exhausted. I was in the middle of transition where I was wanting to do something else anyway. And so the, more than a little self-pity, but what a, what a gift from God to reveal my bondage, my attachment to other people's opinion of me and to attempt to liberate Jesus liberate me from that fear. I just realized how much fear of other people's opinion I was living under the tyranny of. And um, that's no, that's not a good way to live. That's not a crazy, happy way to live. <laughs> well, listen, first, I want to just say thank you for, for just going there and being uh, vulnerable in that way. And it's actually one of the things, one of the many things that I've always appreciated about um, you as a person, as we know each other, but also in the way that you write and the way that you you teach, you're you're you've always been very open-handed and open-hearted with like, hey, this is my journey, and and as as we've known each other, and as and I as I've just enjoyed the way God uses you, you've always really I found done a a, a great job of saying this is what I'm understanding and this is wh- how I'm going to pivot because of it. And, and so can you share a little bit with people about some of those journeys? Because I think as I look at, you know, wanting to move people from being crispy, being brittle to being more, you know, a whole and fulfilled in Jesus, what I like to call crazy happy. So much of it is about being able to, you know, to understand, hey, this is the, this is what's going on in my own soul. This is what's going on in my own heart. This, this is what my body's telling me, you know, and, and these are the steps I need to take in order to be able to to grow, to, to be able to be healthier than I've been. And I know that, you know, you've been very, very clear on your own journey, you know, uh, with people and using, you know, some of the, the things that you've gone through to be able to move you in those directions. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Let me just read you a quote from, just to agree with you, that a friend of mine sent me this morning from Simon de Bavor. Self-knowledge is no guarantee of happiness, but it is on the side of happiness and can supply the courage to fight for it. And as you know, whether the subject matter is happiness, or if you want to call it wholeness, or flourishing, or, you know, in my case, like a a slowdown spirituality where you're present to God in the moment and the person in front of you, there is no silver bullet. There is no quick fix. There is no formula. And if there was one, it would not alliterate. You know, life is complex and messy and ambiguous and three steps forward and two steps back. And all of us are full of contradiction and conflict and confusion. Welcome to the human condition. Anybody who tells you, read their book, take their thing, do their formula, and this tension, confusion, ambiguity, struggle will go away is full on selling you something. Do not trust them. But and that's not to negate the promise of life and life to the full. I, I believe in it and, I, and we're living it. That's to just speak honestly. A spiritual realism is absolutely mandatory. But I do think that self-awareness is crucial. That, you know, the ancients would say knowing yourself and knowing God are, are two sides of the same coin. You know what I mean? That 
Augustine, 1,600 years ago, said, you are closer to me than I was to myself. And what the Christian mystics down through the ages, not, who are not progressive, not new age, not weird, they would all say that you discover God and you discover who you actually are in the same or in a very similar place of just quiet prayer and sitting as you are with all of your good and all of your bad and all of your ugly before God, experiencing his overwhelming love and compassion for you. Call that prayer, call that contemplation, call it whatever you want, you know? So I do think that you're right, that self-awareness is absolutely crucial. What, what am I sensing in my body right now? What are my emotions telling me? I was brought up in a church tradition, likely similar to yours, where emotions were, were bad, they were not to be trusted, they were to be bossed around, they were to be, you know, kind of engineered through kind of mental spiritual gymnastics. Not all of that is bad, but I was never really taught that emotions are the messengers from your body, that God made us as emotional creatures, and he built these emotions uh, as messengers to tell us when we're on the right track and when we're on the wrong one, and we don't need to moralize our emotions we need to pay attention to them and accept them and let them let them become teachers. And, and by that, I mean, I don't mean run by our emotions. We should absolutely not be run by our emotions. But our emotions have something to say. Often when we're feeling fear, for example, that's one of the primary indicators where God through our body comes to us and lets us know what our idols are, what our attachments are. Anxiety is rooted in attachment. What is it that we think we need to have to be happy and at peace? The main way you've discovered that is when it's under risk or under duress or it's taken away, you feel anxiety or you feel anger. So God is coming to you through your anxiety and your anger and revealing to you in love what your idols and attachments are in order to give you an invitation to let go of them and to center your heart on him in order to discover crazy happy or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And I love what you're saying because, you know, you're, you're acknowledging the fact that, you know, depending on how people were raised, you learn different strategies to deal with these things. You know, right. like, it's funny, like, you know, like I grew up outside of, of the church, you know, we were culturally Catholic, but we're all Italian from New Jersey. So, so I was always taught, like you express your emotions, you know? Yes. And I remember when I, when I started going to a, to a church you know, which is in the tradition that you came out of, you know what I mean? It's like, where all of a sudden you're like, oh, like nobody actually talks about how they feel here. And I felt I like, I feel like an alien in the world. I'm like, so wait, so like everyone just kind of doesn't say anything about anything. Like something bothers them and everyone just kind of just looks at each other and says, no, praise the they, Lord. They, they, they pretend, how you doing? Good brother, praise the Lord. Praise God the Lord, good. you know? All, all and, of which are true. I mean, yes, God is good. Yes, we're allowed to be grateful. Yes, praise the Lord. And... I'm really angry and bitter at my wife right now or whatever. Like let's, let's have a little real talk as you would call it. Yeah. Now, so to talk about that, cause obviously like for you, there's been this journey that you've been on and as like, and I, and I just have always been impressed by that. Like as God is doing the work, you're willing to take the step with the Lord. So it's like, I think for a lot of people, God is doing a work and then people are like, well, God wants to do this thing, but I have to actually go this way, you know? Yeah. And in your journey, you know, as a leader and as a husband, like I've always felt like, like you in the way that God has wired you, God is revealing things. And you're like, okay, if this is what God is trying to do, then I actually have to make some changes in my life, yeah. in my world, in order to embody the very thing that the Lord is inviting me into, which we know from a biblical perspective, that's a step of faith. But I think so few yeah. people take them. Talk a little bit about 
how that has been working for you and how you have learned to navigate the tumultuousness that I think keeps people from making those decisions. Let me say this. One way to frame the spiritual journey in the way of Jesus is as a decrease in anxiety rooted in a grasping for control and an increase in trust in God based in surrender to love. At a practical level, one way that I often frame kind of just discipleship, spiritual journey, walking with God, whatever you want to call it, is going through life and accepting the invitations of God in every stage and season and step along the path. So at every, wherever you're at, whether you're a 13-year-old kid or a 93-year-old grandmother, whether you're thriving right now or you're hanging on for dear life and your mental health is, is really struggling, wherever you're at, there are invitations, as, as I like to think about it this way. I, I used to think more like, what are changes I need to make? And I still, that's, that's how I'm wired. But some of that's rooted in a grasping for control. Like, how do I control my life and engineer the outcome that I want? Which is a very Western middle-class way to think. It's not a bad way to think. But the problem is there's all sorts of things that you can't control and you can't engineer. So what do you do when all of your best habit stacking and I listen to this podcast and I read this book and I got this thing and I took this pill and I did this thing and I did this workout and still everything fell apart. What do you do then? Because it's going to happen to you. Not if, when. So another way to think about it is what are the invitations of Jesus to me right here, right now, day by day, week by week, season by season? And how do I surrender to those invitations um, you know, Jesus in his central metaphor for discipleship was the cross. Take up your cross and follow me. We've turned this into a sentimental religious icon. It was a brutal political image of death and terror and fear and oppression. And Jesus said, it's, a, it's an invitation to death. And, you know, I think that what Jesus was saying with take up your cross was what some traditions call self-denial what others call surrender, what psychologists call detachment or letting go. John Calvin once said, "Self." you can summarize the entire spiritual journey with the word self-denial or death to self. And so increasingly, I think it's about what are the invitations of Jesus to me today and in this season, and how do I die to self and let go and surrender and trust to Jesus and just increasingly grow in my yieldedness and the turning over of my will to the will of God, who then amplifies the power that I have to do what he's called me to do. So increasingly, I'm just thinking about it through that lens, Daniel, like, what are the invitations of Jesus right now? And they're most likely going not going to be less invitations to go out and do something and climb the ladder of success, and more invitations to surrender to what some have called the spirituality of descent, to the cross, to death, to self, to the cruciform way, to going against the American inertia of upward mobility and up and to the right and descending into the path of the cross, which at first glance looks just like suffering and self-denial and turns out to be the path to freedom, liberation, joy, and peace. Well, and I love what you're saying. And I think that for all of you who are listening or watching this right now, or wherever you are, I know that when you're hearing what 
what John Mark is saying, it sounds like, oh my gosh, like this is risky. But I, I don't want to speak for John Mark, but I would tell you that, you know, there's also a risk by not saying yes, yes. to those invitations. The, the, like the risk, it feels like it will be less risky to take that that way of descent, you know, the, you know, the upward way of downward mobility, I think is the way Henri Nguyen spoke of it. You know, um, it, it feels risky, but I'm here to tell you, if you don't say yes to Jesus, there are greater risks, you know, yes. and, and, and you end up in places that you don't want to be because Jesus never wanted you to be there. Just going to agree and say, you know, this is why, you know, in our tradition, the center of everything is faith. Like, the great myth that Western people believe is that faith is a religious thing. Faith is not a Christian thing. It's not a religious thing. Faith is a human thing. We all live by faith. The question is not, do you live by faith? It's who or what do you put your faith in? Is it Jesus and his teachings as they come to us in the New Testament? Or is it this scientist or that professor or this ideology or this political party or this self-help teacher or this socioeconomic, whatever. The question is, we're all trying to get to this destination we've never been to. Call it the good life, call it happiness, call it flourishing, wholeness, whatever. We're all trying to get there. And we've not been there. So we have to rely upon a guide and a map to go there. The problem is, we have, that means we, and there's lots of different guides who are offering a map saying, this is the way to the life that you want. We all basically want the same thing. We want to be happy. We want to be good people. We want to have meaningful relationships. We want our suffering to have meaning. We want to have life after death if it's a possibility. We want to be right with God. if there's, We all want the base. We want to be good people of virtue and ethics. We want to be free of addiction and fear and anxiety and hate and anger and prejudice. Most of us want the same basic constellation of things. The question is, what's the path to get there? How do we have to walk a path? We're not those kind of people. How do we become those kind of people? How do we get to that life? And there's lots of different so-called guides saying, I know the way, here's the map to get there. And the question is, which guide are you going to trust? Um, is it Buddha? Is it Steven Pinker? Is it Sam Harris? Is it Joe Biden? Is it Donald Trump? Is it Jesus of Nazareth? And I'm choosing to put my trust in a teacher and a luminary who came back from the dead. And I believe there are good historical reasons to believe that. And I'm with a couple other, a billion people around the world and down through history who have found Jesus, not just as savior, but as teacher and as to be the most wise, intelligent, true guide to the good life in all of human history. And so is it risky to put my entire future? Yeah, at some level, I, this could be wrong. I could be out to lunch. Jesus could be a figment of my imagination. I really don't think that is true. And all of my experience points in the opposite direction. But you know what? We have to follow somebody. And I cannot think, it's like the Peter line in those moments of doubt. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I mean, who else am I gonna follow? I have to follow somebody. So I find deep joy and confidence in following Jesus. Jesus is real. God's always inviting you to walk more in step with him so that you can experience the crazy happy life he wants you to have. As Pastor Daniel and John Mark Comer shared today, the choice to say yes to those invitations requires taking a risk 
and stepping out in faith. But it's even riskier to stay where you are because you'll find yourself in places you don't want to be. John Mark reminded you that you have to follow someone and that you can find deep joy and confidence in following Jesus. We'll have a preview of next week's episode in just a moment. Thanks for listening to the Crazy Happy Podcast with Pastor Daniel Fusco and author and journalist Billy Hallowell. Each week you'll hear discussion on important topics that affect your life now. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and get notified each time we post a new edition of the show. For more information, visit JesusIsRealRadio.com. Now... Here's Josh. Next Friday, Pastor Daniel and John Mark Comer will continue their conversation about how to better live out the crazy, happy life that God wants for us all to have. They'll discuss the discipline of slowing down and how it, like fasting and other spiritual disciplines, helps you learn how to stay content no matter what's going on in your life. Well, that's all we have time for on this special Friday edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. For more information, visit JesusIsRealRadio.com. Today's broadcast was produced from the Crazy Happy Podcast with Pastor Daniel Fusco. Be sure to subscribe to the Crazy Happy Podcast today and be sure to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.